Christmas really has to be, all that we do for Christmas, it really has to be about pointing people to the real meaning of Christmas. Amen. Tell your neighbor, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And <clears throat> forgive me, uh, my throat's a little bit bad. But today, what I want to talk about is about the guiding star. Oops, and the phone fell down. <laughs> the guiding star. Now, when you hear the title called The Guiding Star, you immediately think about the wise men, right? And when you think about the wise men, you think about that song. Do you know that song about the wise men? That Christmas carol? Some of y'all are nodding. Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. How many of y'all know the song? We three kings of Orient are. Come on, more, more than that, right? Yeah, you know this song. So today, after today, I think you may not want to sing that song so much. And then you, I will tell you why in a little while, okay? And so today, we're going to take a look at the passage from Matthew chapter 2. It is the only passage among all the four Gospels that actually talk about the wise men. So today, we're going to take a look at the wise men, which is told only by Matthew. Would you please do me the honor of standing to your feet? Let us read the Word of God together. Let's give honor to the Word of God. I've got it on screen. Oops. Okay, it's, it's up here, all right. All right, let's, let's go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Next slide. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> may the Lord add blessing to the reading of the word today. So today what we're going to do is, this is a very familiar passage, but as I was going through it and just, you know, waiting upon the Lord and, and even doing some research, I found some very interesting facts and I thought, I think it's good for us to really unpack this passage a little bit more so that we don't get so familiar until we lose 
the true impact of what it is all about. So first, let's, we're going to break it down verse by verse. All right? So first verse says, now after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. So this clearly takes place after the birth of Jesus. And it was during the reign of King Herod. Now King Herod, you have heard King Herod being mentioned in many instances in the New Testament. And you wonder, is this a really old guy that lived so long and was impacting so many people? Actually, he was called Herod the Great. And after him, he had successors. And these are the ones called Herod Antipas and so on and so forth. Herod the Tetrarch. All these are the different, the other successors of this Herod. Why was he called Herod the Great? Let me tell you why. He, they call it a 40-year building spree. He was, he was passionate to build and construct. He built a lot of the very amazing structures in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and they are still standing today. Some of the things that he has built include the, the big amphitheater. Those who have been to Jerusalem, you went to Caesarea. When you went to Caesarea, you, you saw all the, the, the big theater that was there. You saw the race courses that was there. You could see the beginnings of the aqueducts and all these things still remain 2,000 years later. And Herod was someone who just built a lot of big things. The other major contribution that this Herod the Great did was actually for the temple, the Jerusalem temple. Because back in the day of Nehemiah, hundreds of years before Herod, Nehemiah had constructed the walls, Ezra had constructed the foundations, and it was Herod many, many years later that brought it all to fulfillment and he constructed the entire temple as brand new. So this was why he was known as Herod the Great. He was a visionary guy, he was a great politician. Yeah, that's the picture of um, the, the theatre. Nice or not the picture? I took my, hand, my, my handphone one, no? Got talent, right? Can write, got talent, right? Okay, la, can la, okay. <laughs> so, um, and, and, but this, this Herod, he was, um, he was a good speaker, he was a diplomat, he was a very shrewd politician. Why do I say he's a shrewd politician? Herod is not a Jew. He was not born a Jew. He was actually from the descendant of, you know, Esau, Jacob and Esau. Jacob later became Israel and therefore that is how the whole Jews, the, the Jewish nation came forth. Esau was the brother and from him came the descendants of the Edomites. So actually Herod came from those kind of descendants, the Edomites. But he was so shrewd as he was appointed to take on this position over the Jews, he decided, I shall maso osola. I shall become a Jew too for political reasons so that the Jews will, will like me so that I will be number one in there. They won't take me as a stranger. So that was what he did. So he was a Jew by conversion. Brilliant developer and builder as we have seen. But on the other hand, people feared him a lot. He was known as Herod the Great and the Terrifying as well because he was a very cruel king. He was very suspicious and paranoid over anything or anyone that could take his position. He wanted to protect himself at all costs. And it was not just about protecting his family. It was all looking out for number one, which was himself. And he was a ruthless and murderous ruler. Why do I say murderous? Now, Herod, back in the day, they always had many wives. And 
he had one of his favorite wives. Apparently, it was his favorite wife. And she had many sons. And he heard a rumor that the sons were going to do an uprising against him. What did he do? Did he go and form a committee to discuss it? Did he go and try and arrest them? He just did this. He killed them all. He killed the wife. He killed all her children. He killed her brothers. He killed her parents so that nobody can come and avenge his murder. So everybody knew, get on Herod's good side and you, it will be well with you. The moment you try to threaten his position, as Shakespeare will say, off with his head. So that was the kind of man that Herod was. So now coming back to, to verse 1. Where's my verse 1? Yes, the wise man. So Herod the king was ruling, Herod the great. This was when the wise man from the east came. Now, wise man came from the east. What does it mean? East, the song which we sing from Orient far. So we think they came from maybe China. But actually not really. Lao. East, back in the day, is anything east of Jerusalem. Okay, you must go back to perspective. And most likely they came from Babylon which was east of Jerusalem by about 800, 900 miles. So about 1,007, 1,800 kilometers away. So they came from the east, most likely from the Babylon, which is current day Iraq. So most likely they came from that region and these were wise men. So they, they came. Who are these wise men? The Bible, when you go into your word of God, the Greek word for wise comes from the word magos, which is why the English word uses magi. The Magi. And this is how the word magician and magic comes from. From Magi. So these, these wise men were not just learned in the books. And they knew every literature that there could be known back in the day. But they were also astrologers. Which means they, they learned to look at the stars. Every day, that was their blackboard, so to speak. They will look up at the stars and they will study. They knew the constellation. Like how they, we would say they knew it like the back of their hand. That's how much they knew the constellation and the stars. And beyond astrology, it became astronomy. Astronomy is when the study of stars, you take it to mean that it's going to chart how you live your life. Now, we don't use that because we have the Word of God in our hearts. Amen. But that, back in the day, that was how they would advise their kings. They would advise their rulers. You've, you see the term wise men? You know, in incidences like when Pharaoh, when Moses was up against Pharaoh and the wise men could duplicate the initial part of the, of the, the, the miracles that, that Moses did. They did their own sorcery to come up with snakes and serpents. It is also the same wise men that King Nebuchadnezzar called upon who could not deliver what Daniel could do. So these are the wise men. It is very common in all the courts of pagan kings, pagan kingdoms. So these wise men, they came from the east. And this is what they say. This is the only line that they have in this whole 12 verses. They only say this one thing that is recorded. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? How did they even know? How did they even know that Jesus had been born? How did they know from a star? You see, 
they know the stars like the back of their hands. So when they look up and they see, they saw an anomaly. They saw this bright star shining day after day after day. They're saying, what happened? How can a star just appear? They know because thousands of centuries, they have all the charts. And they know stars don't just appear out of the blue just like that. So what gives? How did this happen? So after studying and studying, they went into the ancient scriptures. They went into all kinds of scriptures. And they also went into the Torah. They also went into the Word of God in the Torah. How do they have the Torah? Remember, prior to King Herod's time, the Jews were also conquered by the Babylonians. So the Babylonians would have immediate access to even all their scriptures and all their literature. So as they went into the Torah, a lot of scholars believe that they would have encountered this verse in Numbers. Can we have the slide a bit down on the, word, the verse in Numbers. The star prophecy. It's called the star prophecy now because we know that that is probably what they talked about. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. You got the slide? Just after the hippodrome, after the, the, the theater? That's, that's right. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Numbers 24, verse 17. This was a prophecy given by Balaam. When he was asked to curse Israel, instead, he began to prophesy all these amazing things. And from this prophecy, they probably unearthed like, hey, a star shall come out from that direction. And a scepter is normally what is held by a king. So they knew something has, was going to come out. They knew that there was going to be a king that was going to be born. And they were so convinced after all their research, they probably would have looked up at other, other Bible verses in the prophets which have been foretelling about this day. And they packed up. 800 miles, do you think that they made it? As soon, would they have... Immediately on the first day they see the star, do you think the next day they can already catch a flight and make it there? I don't think so. They would have had taken time to observe this star anomaly. They would have taken time to research. Got no Google, yeah, back then. So they have to, I don't know what kind of filing system they had, but they had to go through their filing system to go and read through every single document to try and figure out what is this anomaly about? So with all that and travel from 800 miles on foot by camel, minimum six months. Four to six months minimum. So this definitely, they were not there at the manger scene. They were not there with the shepherds. You, you all with me? You all aren't? Because a lot of times we see the nativity scene that is sold to all of us, we may even have the nativity scene at home. And in the nativity scene, we have, the, we have baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph. We have the shepherds and we have some sheep. And we always have the wise men also there, right? I want to let you know the wise men were not there at the manger. So what do you do with the nativity scene? No, don't throw it out. Use it to tell someone a story. Do you know what's interesting about this? You can tell them, actually the wise men were not quite here. And you can tell them a story. A Christmas story based on an, what the Sunday school teachers will call object lesson. 
So the wise men only arrived much, much later, at least a year or maybe a little more than a year after the birth of Jesus. So coming back to our Bible verse, they, they immediately, they came, they saw the star hovering over the general area of Jerusalem and they knew that they were going to come to see a king that had been born. What more logical place than to go to a palace, which is probably why they ended up in Herod's court because they said, let's go and see the king. Surely he has a son that has been born. And that's why they went to the king and the, and the king was, as soon as he heard it in verse 3, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, after my background with you, I've told you, if anything that seeks to get him all worked up and upset, it will be very troubling to the entire Jerusalem court as well. Because if Herod is upset, they don't know who's going to lose their head. You don't know who else is going to be, going to be killed. So therefore, that's why Herod was troubled. And that's why everybody else, oh, if Herod is troubled, we are also very troubled because it's going to affect us definitely. And so as soon as he was troubled, he immediately assembled the priests and the scribes. Now, though he said he was a Jew, he did not know the scriptures well enough. So he had to go to the experts. So he went to these experts, the people, the, the priests and the scribes, and he asked them, where was this baby to be born? Where is this Christ, this Messiah? Where was he was supposed to be born in the scriptures? And these priests and scribes, without batting an eye, they could just quote the scripture. They are, they are actually quoting here from Micah 5 verse 2. Micah 5 verse 2 has this exact scripture which says, And in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They could quote it. And as soon as they quoted it, Herod immediately knew this must be the prophecy that is coming to pass. He didn't tell anybody anything else, but the next thing you see, he secretly summons the wise men because Herod has a plan. He has a big game plan. And he asked them, so, you know, let's have coffee, let's have tea. And he asked them, so when you saw the star, how long ago? Because ah? he was trying to ascertain the time. He's trying to figure out if this child was born, how old would this child be? So he was asking them for questions and they were very honest. They told him exactly because he's the king. You don't, you don't, you don't want to lie to a king and who's your host. So he got to know exactly or approximately how old the baby Jesus would have been. Which is why in the subsequent passage, when things did not go his way, Herod ordered the killing of all baby boys, two years old and younger, because he had ascertained the general age. So Herod was not taking any chances. So after ascertaining this, then he sent them to Bethlehem. He sent the wise men, okay, all my experts said you can go to Bethlehem, the baby will be there. And he says this to them, go and search diligently for the child. In the Greek, the word diligently, it means go and search completely. Go and search exactly. It means that do not leave a single stone unturned. Search until you find. Because he was so confident that this is going to come and they will find. And when you have found him, bring me word. 
so that I can come and worship him. Herod had a plan. But he, he was so confident that the wise men would return that he didn't bother to send any soldiers with the wise men. He didn't bother to follow. And even the scribes, this is their Messiah that they have been waiting for for a long time. You would think they'll be excited. They've been waiting for this Messiah. Prophet Isaiah talked about him 800 years prior to that. And yet, they just, yeah, that was, yeah, it's about there, you, know, you, can, you can try it and go, but no big deal. So it was so many different reactions and responses. And so after listening to the king, the wise men went on their way and then they, they saw the star again. Because they thought after this, now that they've come to the general area, they don't need the star maybe, but they saw the star that continued to lead them all the way. And it rested over where the child was. So the star did not just abandon them, but the star went all the way. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. All those who know English language, if you were to write a sentence like this in your essay writing, I think your teacher will have a few underlines. Because why are you using exceedingly? What, how does it say? Ex rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why must I say so many times? Selah rejoiced exceedingly enough. But because their joy was so great, Matthew, the author here, the writer here, he was trying to convey the level of their joy because they knew that, hey, this star is continuing to lead us forward. We are not alone in our quest. We can still find the king. We can still find this, this baby that is born to be the king of the Jews. They were so excited. Their joy was beyond the normal joy. Rejoice exceedingly. With great joy. So whenever you're, you're joyful or you're very excited right now, you can use, you can quote scripture. I am rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. And if people say, hey, that's wrong English, say, it's okay, I'm quoting the scripture. Alright, then you'll be fine, okay? So they rejoice and they were happy and all that. And they're going into the house. Did they go into a manger? They went into a house. Once again, reminding us that they did not go into a manger. Because by that time, Jesus, I mean, obviously after he was born, they didn't go and settle down in the manger, right? They would have probably settled down in a nearby house. Probably things were safe then and they, they decided, hey, this is a good place to live. No point carrying a baby halfway across, don't know where. So they settled down in a house. They saw Mary, they saw the baby. And the first thing they did was not do any other thing except fall down and worship this baby. These are pagans. These wise men are pagans. They have only worshipped the stars. They've only worshipped all these other elements. But somehow I believe in their journey, which takes months. They would have been talking about Maybe they were talking about the scriptures. Hey, you know, I think this also points towards this Messiah. I think this also points towards him. I think it's a confirmation of this. I think it's that. And they were probably encouraging and spurring each other on about the different prophecies. And as they were talking, they were building up the excitement that, hey, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. They were excited. And therefore, when, 
when they had come, they knew that this was not just any ordinary baby, but this was Christ, the child, the Messiah. The Messiah had come. These pagans had encountered not just a star, but the maker, the creator of the stars. All they could do was just immediately just come and just bow down. Just they fell. They didn't just say bow. They fell down and they worshipped him. Probably the first to worship Jesus. Probably from the Gentiles. The first of the Gentiles to worship Jesus. I think that's so special because we're all Gentiles, right? We're all not Jews, right? And after that, they opened their treasures. Treasures mean something so precious, so beautiful. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then they were warned in a dream not to return to their own country and they went off another way. Now in this story, what do we have for today? What is our takeaway for today? What do we learn from it today? What I learned from it was there were three different responses here to the birth of the king. The first response is Herod. Herod's response of the birth of a Messiah, a long-awaited Messiah, a Messiah that had been prophesied over and over again, a Messiah that was to rescue the Jews. And he himself was a Jewish convert. So he would have been included in this big rescue plan, but yet he would have nothing of it. He decided that nobody, not even a Messiah, a God, was going to take his position. He responded with anxiety. He responded with so much anger, so much suspicion, so much paranoia. Because he was not going to have a king in his life that was going to change the way he ran his life. Sometimes even as believers, we find it hard to let go of the reins of our life. We can find it hard to sometimes allow King Jesus full reign, full reign over every part of our lives. And then we just say, oh, what else does Jesus want from me? I'm already coming to church every Sunday, you know. What else does God want from me? Do you know how much I'm paying in tithes? Jesus wants us all, amen. He wants all of us. We don't need to have the paranoia that, that King Herod had. We don't need to be afraid that following Jesus means, you know, is giving up my position, my power, my authority. Following Jesus is really the best, the best thing that could ever happen to all of us. And I'm sure we're all seated here today because you all share that story. You all share that, that conviction that Christmas is a time to be reminded that as we follow Christ, it is because we're following the best way possible. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor Quinn. Amen. <laughs> so anxiety was how Herod responded. How, how about the scribes? How did they respond? They responded, they probably have a, a bit more disappointing their response. They are the teachers of the law. Teachers of the law are supposed to be instructing, instructing the people 
on how to live righteously as they wait for their king. They've all been in a season of waiting. Now, Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians. They had been conquered by the Babylonians. And now, they were still under, under, under government by the Roman rule. They were longing and crying out for hundreds of years for a free state. And today, you also know, we are living at a moment currently where there are really challenging times in Jerusalem right now. So there's always been a contention. And that's why we always must continue to pray for Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But coming back here, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were just so apathetic. See, when three strangers came from the east, it would have been news to everybody. Everybody would have known that they would have been around and they had come because of a star. And knowing this, and knowing the scripture that Herod asked them to do, they could have just said, hey, can we also come along? We also want to see, we also want to verify, we also want to check it out. But they didn't. They're very indifferent. They're very just like, oh, yeah, 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 it's there. it'll be in Bethlehem, you just carry on, you can carry on, go straight, turn left, turn right, now carry on. And I hope we're not like that about Christmas. Sometimes when we have been celebrating Christmas years and years and years, right? It can become Christmas as usual. And sometimes when I ask people, so what's the Christmas plans? And they say, oh, the usual, you know, church in the morning. Then we'll have family lunch and then family dinner. Then next day probably we'll just go and visit some people. You know, normal lah. And we go through the church as usual, Christmas as usual. And if we're not careful, we can lose sight and become very apathetic, very indifferent that Christmas really has to be But all of us reflecting the true meaning of Christmas to those around us. Christmas is a time where we start showing the difference of what it is all about. How, how differently do we celebrate Christmas compared to the world? When I was working, I remember year-end was always a time of year-end Christmas parties. And the year-end Christmas parties at the office had everything and anything but Jesus. I'm sure you all are nodding, right? They will call it Christmas parties. Of course, don't forget Santa Claus will always be there. And then they will always have an office game called Secret Santa. They're still having it, you know. And, and then they will do all these things and everybody thinks, yes, we're all celebrating Christmas. But they're missing the true true point of Christmas and that is Jesus and sometimes as believers we can also get a little bit caught up year end is a busy time at office year end can be a bit of a challenge with, with time and, and all these things but I want to encourage us today let us not be like be, be anxious like Herod, let us not be apathetic after years and years and years of going through Christmas but let us take a look at how these pagans took it on. What was it that we can learn from the wise men? When the wise men encountered Jesus, when they began their journey, it was all one of awe. They were just in awe that, wow, a birth of this Messiah can change the stars. Never before. 
they were just so in awe that they could pack up their bags, leave to an unknown place. They cannot even call ahead, hey, Herod, you, you're free. Ah? Can I come? Cannot call all that. You just jalan uni. You have no idea whether you're going to be mob- mobbed on the road or anything like that. But you just went. They were just so in awe, in excitement to see the king. They were just not sure what to expect, but they knew that something was about to happen. Something was about to break. They came late to the party. They came more than a year late to Jesus' birthday party. The the shepherds were there on time. But they were late. They probably didn't make it for Jesus' full moon party. They didn't make it for his first birthday party either. They came late. But you know what? There's no latecomers when it comes to encountering Jesus. It is always just on time. It's always, it's always just on time. And you know, sometimes when I, I have friends in my life that they're very intellectual people. They have all kinds of deep thinking and, and deep thoughts on, on uh, the afterlife, deep thoughts on God and, and the cosmos and all these deep things. And sometimes I wonder, Lord, how on earth do I reach out to them? These are so difficult people, you know? And... After reading and studying this, this encounter, I realized, I said, Lord, truly no one is too far to be reached. The ones who were so immersed in astrology and astronomy, the, the, the wisest of people of their day, so knowledgeable in so many things. But that one encounter with the Lord, that one encounter with baby Jesus, that one encounter... Jesus was not preaching. He was just about a year old. He was not preaching. But the God of heaven, the creator of universe was already preaching through the stars, was already leading them on, was already showing them the way. You know, so we we pray, we continue not to give up to those who we believe could be a little bit harder to reach, a little bit beyond our own intellectual capacity at times. We continue to believe that God can do this. And so let's take a look at how the wise men, their three experiences. Oh, we're already on the next slide already. Number three is wise men. Ah, there you go. And now we go all three experiences. The wise men encountered three different things as they were meeting up with Jesus. The first thing they encountered was joy. Remember we talked about the joy? The exceedingly great joy. See, that's what Christmas is about. Christmas cannot be about the stress of like, oh my goodness, I got so many presents to buy. Oh my goodness, I haven't bought my lamb. I haven't bought my mutton. I haven't bought my pork. I haven't bought all these things yet. I haven't done my Christmas tree yet. Ah yeah, Christmas is not about all that. Those are the trimmings. But Christmas is really about the joy. About having joy that, that is going beyond. And maybe this year in, you know, you've been waiting for miracles to happen from the Lord and you're saying, oh, it's such a hard Christmas. Because it's been such a hard year. But I want to encourage you in your season of waiting, as you're waiting for your own Christmas miracle, you're waiting for your own year-end breakthrough, never let the joy depart. Because He is the reason for our joy. We are here because there is hope. Christmas reminds us we have hope of that breakthrough. We have hope that because the Messiah has indeed come, the Lord stepped down into darkness Light came into darkness to shine and show the way. We have hope, church. 
The next thing the Magi learned, they experienced worship. They had no idea what they were going to encounter, but as soon as they saw the baby, they fell down and they worshipped him because that is, only, that is the best and only response that the Lord asked for us. Worship me, worship me. Give him praise. As Pastor Gwen was leading us, oh, come let us adore. Adore him, Christ the King. There must be so much of joy when they saw him. They, they probably sang this song as well, Pastor Gwen, you know. I think so. Because it's such a majestic song, such, so much of joy filled with it. They gave not just their lip service of worship, but they gave their best. Back in the day, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these were the most costly of gifts that you could buy. It was not just costly, it was rare. It was exceedingly rare. They brought their best for a little baby. They didn't go and look at the baby like, and look at Mary, this kind of house, I don't think they need to have, a, have gold. Lah. Look at them, poor thing. Like, half huh? frankincense and myrrh, they don't know how to use, no need to give them. Lah. It was not about that. It was about giving honour with the best that they could have. And that's what Christmas is really all about. While we give gifts to our loved ones to show our love and appreciation for them, what are we giving King Jesus? I think it's very good for all of us, even this morning, even this season. We've got two weeks in a sense before the actual Christmas day. But this is the Christmas season. What can we give of the Lord? What can we give to the Lord? And you say, oh, what do you give the one who owns the cattle on the thousand hills? We give him our obedience. We give him our heart. And the next thing is we be a part to lead people to the Lord. We be a part to show people how to come. See, the wise men, they had a star to shine and point them to the right direction. The Lord God Almighty in His grace and mercy showed them that star, showed them a way to find a saviour. The third thing they encountered was transformation. Why do I say transformation? When the wise men left, when the wise men left, they did not go back the same way. When they encountered Jesus, after they encountered Jesus, the wise men did not go back the same way they came. They went back a new way. They went back a different person. They went back changed by the encounter. They chose not to go back to their own ways. Because that is the power of Christmas as we lead people to come, as we ourselves are reminded, I'm not meant to live in the old ways. I'm not meant to be walking in my old path before I encountered Jesus. But today is a time where we say, Lord, forgive me if I have returned to my old path. But I want a new journey. I want to walk in a way where, which shows the world I have been changed and transformed 
by my encounter with Jesus. And you know, church, in this season in our church, our church theme, as you come into the lobby, what does it say? Only three of y'all notice it. <laughs> Welcome home, right? Come on, say with me. Welcome home. Home is glad tidings. The th wise men, all of them, when they encountered, when they met with Jesus in a house, they encountered Jesus in a house. They encountered Jesus in a home. So I would like to put it to all of us that this may be the home that your friends can encounter Jesus. Your cell parties welcome home. That can be the home where your friends can meet this King Jesus. You know, when I, when I, before I really went into this scripture, I used to always say, Lord, it'd be just easier if you just send stars for different ones to just come, you know. Sometimes it's easier, like maybe if they see a miracle, then they themselves will come. Because sometimes they're so hard-headed, I, I will tell the Lord, you know. And I said, God, easier lah, you just send many stars, one for every unsafe person, and then they will all look at it, and it all just come. Finish. Salvation is done. But he doesn't do that, right? Don't you wonder why? Let me show you why. Can we have the slide on Philippians 2? Let's read this with me together. You may be seated, but let's read it together. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Church, we are called to shine like lights in the world. We are the lights. Jesus is not going to be sending any special Christmas stars for all of us. Jesus is not looking for something like that, but instead, He's already said and already commanded all of us to be the lights. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the light. Come on. Say it like you mean it, you are the light. That's right. We are all called to be shining like lights in a twisted generation. We are living in a twisted generation. We are living in hard times and we are all called to shine the light wherever we are. So that's why the Lord is not going to be sending any Christmas star. I started the sermon out today by saying that the title is called The Guiding Star. The wise men had their guiding star. And their guiding star led them to encounter Jesus in a home. I pray that now, in this congregation, I see you all as lights. Lights that will now begin to shine so that others will come to know Jesus. And you know, every time the church organizes something, whether it's a cell event or whether it's a church-wide event, let it not just be church as usual. Let it not just be, oh, what, what is the program, ah? fun or not? <laughs> Let it not just be about that. Well, you know, always know that we always come up with really good stuff, really, really exciting ways to celebrate Jesus. But let us also be a part of it. I want to encourage everyone here. Can we begin today to start thinking about, Lord, who is it that I can bring on the 24th or on the 23rd, on Saturday or on the Sunday? Who can I bring, oh Lord, for my cell event? Who can I reach out to, even to invite to my own home so that they can, they can see 
Jesus. They can meet Jesus in my own home. Who are the wise men in my life that I need to, to shine to? Church, if we lose the, 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 whole, the whole meaning of Christmas, Jesus came because He came to seek and save the lost. And that is really the heartbeat of Christmas. It is for all of us to capture that heartbeat and say, Lord, it's like a, a baton that has been thrown to us. And we say, Lord, I'm taking it on and I'm going to be running forward. And Lord, I don't know how. But Holy Spirit, you are with me. Holy Spirit, you are with me. Can I have the worship team out? And today, I would like to lead all of us in a time where we just be mobilized as an army of the Lord. We be mobilized as an army to just say, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. Show me who we are, ne we are neither too young nor are we too old. We are neither too free, neither are we too busy. But the Lord has different ones already in our hearts that we can use to bring people home so that this Christmas, it will truly be a welcome home. A welcome home where they can have a home where people meet Jesus. They can have a home where our friends can come and experience that exceedingly great joy that the, that the, that the wise men had. They can have a home where they can be so awestruck until they know that no wonder the Christians like to worship Jesus. There is none like Him. Oh, it shall be a time where they shall all walk away from this place transformed. And it takes all of us. It takes all of us, you and I. And we say, Lord, count me in. I want to be that light to lead someone. I want to be that guiding light in this season. Count me in. And that is the best gift that we can give Jesus this Christmas. We don't have to go to the shopping malls to buy something for Jesus. But it is our heart that says, Lord, use me. Lord, even as I'm waiting for my own miracle, Lord, you can still use me to reach out and shine the light. Give me opportunities to share. Let people ask me, how am I celebrating Christmas? So I can really tell them why I'm choosing to go to church. Why I'm going to cell group. Why this Christmas, Jesus is my number one. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Even as you look to the Lord in prayer, I just want to encourage you to close your eyes begin to ask the Lord if at times we have been too anxious about what the Lord is asking for us begin to say Lord forgive me if I've been too anxious about different things in my life I'm just beginning to surrender that to you Lord and for some of us maybe it has been a tiring season and there's been indifference, maybe apathy. You're just like, oh Lord, I just can't think so much anymore. And for others, it is really about leading someone to the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't know how, but this Christmas I'm willing to try. I'm willing not just to sit down and experience just another Christmas service, but 
I want to actively bring, Lord, someone to meet you, Lord. Someone to walk into this home of glad tidings. Someone to walk into my cell group home. And Lord, let them meet you and walk away transformed.